welcome, and thank you for listening to the Bellevue Sermon Podcast. Today's message comes to you from the pulpit of Bellevue Baptist Church in Gadsden, Alabama, through our Sunday morning preaching ministry. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you, and that the Lord would use it for His glory. Well, good morning again. Uh, we've already had a great time of worship together today, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, also, uh, appreciate Pastor Colt giving me an opportunity to preach today, so I always look forward to that and appreciate the, the opportunity. Uh, and so, you know, I'm happy to be here with you this morning. And so if you have your Bible with you today, you can go ahead and open it up to Philippians chapter 2, and uh, that's... Where we'll be hanging out together this morning is in Philippians chapter 2, so you can go ahead and open up your Bibles there and uh, hold it there for just a moment. Uh, we actually just walked through Philippians in our student ministry this past semester, um, and it was really great. It was a great series. Uh, you know, I was actually just joking with somebody the other day that uh, the book of Philippians is kind of like, or it feels like Paul's greatest hits letter. Uh Every single chapter it just has one of those all-time iconic verses in it that um, that you hear a lot, and uh, and for good reason because they're just amazing. Uh, you know, it starts off in chapter one with you know that iconic verse: "To live is Christ, and to die is gain." Uh, and then in chapter three, you know, you have this section where where he says, "You know, I forget what's behind, and I press on toward the mark." Uh, you know, of the call of Christ. Uh, and then even into chapter 4, where he says, Rejoice, I tell you again, rejoice. And so these are some of the most well-known and encouraging verses in the New Testament, uh, but none better than the passage we're going to be looking at to, today out of chapter 2. Uh, and this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, I think. Uh, and so, but before we do dive into that together today, I do want to just want to take a second to kind of lay down some of the context of what's happening uh, at the time of this writing. You know, I tell our students just about every week, uh, and so I'm going to tell you as well, but when you open up the Bible and you start to read, uh, context is key. Uh, and so you need to know what's going on around the text so that you can have a better understanding of what the text is actually saying and not just what we want it to be saying, right? Uh, we need to be able to understand the actual meaning, and the way <clears throat> that we can best do that is to understand context. Uh, and sadly, Philippians is actually a great case study for uh, the need for context uh, because, you know, we just said Philippians has some of the, uh, the most iconic verses in the New Testament, but it also has some of the most misused and misunderstood verses in the New Testament. Uh, you know, Philippians 4.13 is a great example of this. Uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ who th strengthens me. And that's a great verse, right? You know, this is every athlete's favorite verse. You know, I'm going to run so fast and I'm going to dunk this basketball so hard because Christ strengthens me. Uh, but that's not the context of this verse at all, right? That's not what uh, this verse is being written for. Uh, you know, Philippians 4.13 is about being content in any circumstance, whether you're doing great and you have everything you need, or whether you are suffering with almost nothing to your name, we can be content in the strength of Christ. But when this gets ripped out of its context, uh, it can mean anything you want it to, right? And so that's why we need to be so careful about this. Uh, and so the context for this uh, letter to the Philippian church 
uh, is that Paul is actually writing to them from a Roman prison. Uh, and so he's writing them partially uh, a thank you letter for all the support that they've shown him, both you know, financially and uh, prayer. Um, and then he's also writing them as an encouragement uh, for them to find their joy, find their unity, uh, and to find uh, you know, humble servanthood through Christ alone. And so we're going to see all three of these themes pop up in our text today. Uh, and so now kind of having that background, having that understanding of the context, you know, we can kind of see the overall theme of this chapter, uh, you know, much clearer and it can become much richer for us. And so with that, let's dive into this text together. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 2, just verse 1. Uh, And we're going to go through verse 11. And so, um, as always, if you would please stand with me as we read uh, the Word of God together. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> and so as I mentioned, this is one of my all-time favorite passages. Um, you know, it's just, to me, just one of, the, one of the more incredible, you know, passages in Scripture. And I don't just say that because I'm reading it to you right now. You know, I, I mean that. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, I'm excited to, uh, to bring you know, this passage and us to get into this uh, together today. Uh, and so the first thing that I think we should see when we, beginning, or when we begin reading from this chapter is that this chapter begins with a therefore type statement. Okay, he says, if then, uh, your, your uh, translation may have even said therefore, you know, many translations do, uh, but there is this therefore type statement. And so, you know, when we are reading the Bible and we see a passage that begins that way, uh, you know, we need to kind of back up and see what's going on. You know, I've heard uh, this my whole life. I don't remember exactly where I heard it the first time. Um, but, uh, you know, somebody told me that if you ever see a therefore in the Bible, you need to back up and figure out what it's there for. Uh, and so I don't, I don't know where I heard that the first time, but it's just always stuck with me. And so, uh, so that's what I want us to do. And so I think, uh, you know, at the start of chapter 2 here, uh, the if then here kind of connects us to the end of chapter one, <clears throat> uh, and 
you know, I think it picks up in verse 27. And so the end of chapter 1, starting in verse 27, uh, ends with Paul kind of coaching the Philippians on how to deal with uh, external pressure, okay? How to handle uh, external persecution, you know, things coming from outside of the church that are, uh, you know, causing them stress, okay? So like I said, it's like persecution, um, things like that. Uh, And so the end of chapter one kind of ends with him, you know, wrapping that up. You know, here's how to stand firm against outside forces. And so now here in chapter two, he's going to kind of flip the switch a little bit. And now we're going to look at uh, facing internal struggles, Uh, struggles that happen inside of the church. Uh, And so, you know, I don't think it's any uh, surprise to us that being a part of a church can be hard. Uh, It can be a difficult thing. Um, And I actually kind of find it a little bit encouraging that even in the very first churches, they were having these types of discussions about unity. Uh, And so, you know, when we think about this Philippian church, you know, Paul was writing this, a lot of people think, you know, uh, the mid-60s A.D., so, you know, this is only 60 years or so after Jesus uh, has ascended, uh, and so they're already kind of having these discussions about, well, how do we keep unity within our church? Uh, and it can be hard, right? It can be hard, but like I said, I find it a little bit encouraging, at least, that this is, you know, something that we've been dealing with from the very beginning. Uh, but we've been called to a supernatural type of unity, uh, a unity that can only be found in one place and one place alone, and that is in the truth of the gospel. Uh, and so that's what Paul understands. He knows this. Uh, and so he writes them this letter with some instructions, and he says, this is how you, know, you handle the external conflict, but then now this is how you can handle that internal conflict. Uh, conflict that comes up from within the church body. <clears throat> and so, you know, he begins this, uh, this section with several, you know, kind of rhetorical statements or questions. Uh, and, you know, they're kind of the questions that you know the answer to, right? I mean, that's what a rhetorical question is. So in theory, we know the answer to all of these things. Uh, and the first one is, is there any encouragement in Christ? Uh, or is there any consolation of love? Is there any fellowship with the Spirit? Is there any affection and mercy? And so, like I said, of course we know all the answer, uh, all the answers to these questions, which is yes, of course there is. Um, but what is it? What is our encouragement in Christ? Well, our encouragement in Christ is that we are known by Him. We have been given the gift of faith, and we know Christ. But even better than that, He knows us, uh, and we are found in Him. And in 2 Thessalonians 16, it says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. And so, yes, there is encouragement in Christ. And is there anything more encouraging than being known by Christ? And so what about consolation of love? Uh, or comfort in love. That word consolation means comfort. You know, this is talking about God's love for us. Is there any comfort in God's love for us? Of course. Ephesians 3 asks the question, how can we even measure the width and length and height and depth of the love of God? 
a love that surpasses all knowledge. So of course there's comfort in God's love. And is there anything more comforting than God's love? And what about our fellowship with the Spirit? When we think about fellowship, we think about time hanging out together, uh, you know, doing things together, just being together, right? That's what fellowship is. Uh, You know, potluck dinners, game nights, you know, just hanging out together, being together. Uh, You know, it's all about things that we have in common. And so we share life with the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit fills us, it guides us, it moves in our lives in a powerful and purposeful way. Uh, And Jesus told us himself in John 14 and at the Great Commission that when he leaves, uh, the Father is going to send a helper that will be with us forever. Uh, And so, of course, there is fellowship with the Spirit, and it is there with us forever. And finally, Paul's final kind of rhetorical question here is, what about the affection or the tenderness and the mercy of God? We all know uh, the affection and mercy of God. Uh, There's a song that I love called In Tenderness, uh, and it's about this kind of very idea. And I think it shows really well the mercy and affection that God has for us. And, And this is part of the song. It says this. It says, In tenderness he sought me weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again. He died for me while I was sinning, needy, poor, and blind. He whispered to assure me, I found thee, thou art mine. And so as believers, we have all experienced the tender affection and mercy of God. And so Paul mentions these things in that way, that you know these are things that we all know. Right? These are obvious statements. These are things that we should all have experienced in our Christian life. You know, it's like asking, is the sky blue? And you're like, well, yeah, duh. Everybody knows that, right? And so Paul asked these questions in that same way. You know, is, there, is the love of God encouraging and comforting? You know, is God merciful and, you know, uh, compassionate? And you're like, well, yeah, duh. Everybody knows that, right? Uh, And so that's the way that Paul presents these questions. And so then in verse 2, he says, well, if these things are true, uh, then make my joy complete, and you take on these exact same characteristics for yourself for the benefit of each other. He says, do nothing out of selfishness, but instead put others ahead of yourself. Uh, And so, you know, before we go any further, this part kind of stuck out to me because this is a very, you know, Paul has a very, like, pastoral relationship with this, uh, with this church, uh, and it kind of jumped out to me. You know, you can tell uh, that he loves them and he cares for them, uh, especially, you know, when you read this letter as a whole, you know, that really continues to jump out, uh, but he feels very pastorally towards them. You know, he knows them, uh, he loves them, and cares about them, <clears throat> and so he tells them to make my joy complete, Uh, by acting this way. And so that may seem like a strange thing to say, but, you know, as a pastor, uh, you know, I can kind of relate to this because there are few things that are as joyful for me. You know, I'm the student pastor here at Bellevue, and there are a few things that are more joyful than when you see one of our students, like, get it, like when it clicks, uh, and, you know, they understand it, and they're living it out. You know, there are a few things that are more joyful than that. And so this is the same, uh, you know, kind of relationship that Paul has with this, with this church. 
You know, he deeply cares for them. He wants to see them thrive uh, in unity uh, for the sake of Christ. And so he says, nothing would make me happier than to see you living in that way. Uh, You know, to have the same attitude, to put each other first over yourself. No selfishness, uh, no deceit, you know, but walk in humility. You know, these are the things that bind us together as believers. You know, our encouragement and love in Christ, our fellowship with the Holy Spirit and with each other. Uh, You know, we are united in all of these ways and our actions should reflect that. And so, you know, verse one shows us all these things that we have in common. Uh, Verses, you know, two through four then tell us what we are to do about it. Uh, And we are to have the same mind, you know, not being selfish, but putting others ahead of ourselves. And so, you know, when we remember that this is being written to a group of believers, uh, you know, this is a reminder for all believers how we should interact with each other. Uh, you know, he's, he's telling them not to look out only for themselves, but to look out for each other. You know, we should actively be looking out for each other. We should actively be involved in each other's lives. And I think this is an area where our culture has kind of rubbed off on us a little bit, not specifically here, but just the church as a whole, uh, is, you know, we don't like uh, asking for help, accepting help. Um, You know, we try to just fake it till we make it, you know, kind of thing. Uh, But this is not what the Christian life is. That's not what we're called to. You know, we are called to care for each other, uh, even over our own interests. We're called to look out for each other and to encourage each other. Uh, And so this is really completely countercultural. Uh, this is the exact opposite of what our human nature wants us to do. Uh, you know, we want to look out for our own interests. We want to do what's best for us, no matter the cost for anyone else. Um, that's just kind of how human nature is wired. <clears throat> and, you know, lately I've been seeing a, a really good example of this because me and Amanda have recently started watching uh, a reality show called The Traders. Uh, and uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun, but the idea is that you have a group, I think it was maybe 20 people, and they put them in this castle in Scotland, and they're all on the same team, and the point is for them to complete these missions, and they, you know, each mission they get money, and so at the end of the game, uh, they get to split the money. But the problem is that in that group of 20 people, there's three people that are traitors, and nobody knows who they are. Uh, and so at the end of each day, the traders get to decide one person to send home. Uh, and so now we're, you know, seven, eight episodes in, and, you know, it's getting very, uh, you know, nitpicky. You know, they are, nobody trusts each other. Uh, you know, they're scheming behind each other's backs. You know, they're, you know, voting their own players out. Uh, everybody is just looking out for themselves. Uh, you know, you can see them throwing each other under the bus. Uh, they're just trying to get ahead, and they'll even, you know, tell the camera, you know, hey, I don't care about anybody else. I'm just trying to get money in the pot so I can win this thing and be on my way. Uh, but this is kind of how our culture really views personal success anyway, right? You know, just stay to yourself, make your money, forget about anyone else, and if you've got to throw somebody under the bus to get ahead, do it. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, if somebody else gets left behind, that's just the cost of doing business, right? But this is the exact opposite of what we are called to as believers. You know, we are called to view ourselves lower than others and to be selfless and humble. Uh, 
And so Paul then takes this opportunity to direct our attention to the one that we should model ourselves after. He says, you should have all these characteristics as believers. Um, Now let me point you to the one who modeled them perfectly for us, and that is Jesus. And so, again, this next section uh, is, is so incredibly, it, it's so incredible. It's so doctrinally rich. You know, every line really is extraordinary. Uh, and it can be hard to kind of fathom, you know, when you take it line by line. And so, you know, I just want to quickly reread this section again, starting in verse 5, just so we can kind of have it fresh in our mind as we uh, continue to, to dive into it. So uh, I'll pick up in verse 5. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that I think is so amazing about this passage is that, like I said, yes, it is so doctrinally rich. And, you know, we like to recite uh, recite creeds together here during worship occasionally, and really this could be one of them, right? It reads that way, uh, and it's, it's rich in that way, um, but that's not the intended purpose of this passage. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not here for us to, you know, the fine-tune our deep theology, uh, although there are, like I said, some incredible theological truths here that we need to understand and we can gather from this passage. But the reason that this passage is here is for us to look at Christ and to adore him, uh, both for what he's done, for who he is, uh, and not just to adore him, but to emulate him to our best ability. And so the point of this passage uh, is not to adore the depth of these great theological points, it's to adore Christ. And so when we adore Christ together as a church body, that is where our unity comes from. And Francis Chan actually has a really great great quote about this. He says, church unity doesn't come from sermons about unity. It is the result of people adoring and emulating Christ. And so if we adore him as a church, if we behold his glory and we emulate his character, That is when we will be unified as a church. And so how do we do that? How do we we emulate Christ? And I think if this could be summed up in one word, it's humility. Humility. Uh, You know, verse 6 tells us that he existed before anything else in the form of God. Not that he uh, appeared to be God, but that he was God. He created the universe and everything in it. Colossians 3 and John 1 tell us that everything was created by him and through him, and not one thing that was created was created apart from him. Jesus is God 100%. And so, you know, Jesus is in heaven, uh, seated at the right hand of uh, of the Father, and he gives all of that up to come to earth as a human and live this life that we all live 
you know, full of pain and death and sin. Uh, and he came here into all that to be a servant. He emptied himself by taking on the likeness of humanity. You know, Jesus could have remained in heaven and clung to what was rightfully his, but he didn't. Instead, he came to earth <clears throat> to freely give of himself and lower himself even to the point of a slave. You know, a few months ago, uh, we were, you know, walking through the Gospel of John together here on Sunday mornings, uh, and we read a story uh, about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And so if you remember, right before that story, uh, the disciples had been bickering among themselves about who was the greatest, who was going to be first in the next kingdom, uh, which one would be first, and then... You know, right after this moment, Jesus kneels down and he washes their feet. Which, again, this is the job of a slave at this time. Uh, and so could you imagine the disciples' reactions if somebody had asked them to do that? If he had said, hey, will you wash everybody's feet? He'd be like, wait, what? You want me to wash Peter's feet? Like, are you kidding me? Like, that guy's nasty, right? But, uh, but no, but Jesus did that. Uh, you know, God in the flesh, the creator of all things, knelt down, humbled himself to the point of a servant and washed his disciples' feet. And so for us, thinking about how we can emulate Christ, you know, what would our church look like if we had that same attitude that Christ has? If we said, my aim is to have the same mindset of Christ and I'm here to serve. No job is too small. Uh, no job is beneath me. My job is to serve. If we, you know, prayed and said, Lord, use me to serve my local church, my fellow believers, this community, I want to serve the way Jesus served, humbly and without reservation. What would our church look like? What could this community look like if we had that mindset? And so, of course, we know Jesus' ultimate act of humble servanthood uh, came in the form of the cross. <clears throat> he was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, I've heard this before, where people will, will talk about Jesus being murdered. And, you know, I think we need to understand that Jesus was not murdered. He willfully gave up his life, voluntarily. Uh, he was obedient to the Father, and out of sacrificial love for you, he went to the cross in our place. And, you know, Isaiah 53 tells us that the Lord punished him for the iniquity of us all. He received the full wrath of God in our place. And again, he did that humbly and willfully. First Peter 2 tells us that he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds. We have been healed. And so this is the depth that Christ descended for us. You know, I was reading a commentary uh, about this passage this week, and it said we should view this passage uh, in the shape of a V. Okay, so you think about a V. And, you know, verses 6 through 8 kind of show us the descent um, of Christ. And then, you know, with the lowest point being at the end of verse 8 there, where it says, even to death on a cross. And then starting in verse 9, we start to see the, uh, the reascension of Christ. Uh, and so, you know, Jesus' life followed that 
path. And in Matthew 23, Jesus tells a crowd of people that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus' life followed this principle. You know, he humbled himself to the point of a servant, to the point of death on a cross for us. Uh, And because of that, God now has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. And that name is Lord. And so to, to confess Christ as Lord in the first century meant that Caesar was not, right? Uh, you know, this was a, a position that if you held could get you in a lot of trouble. Uh, it could get you imprisoned like Paul was. Uh, it could get you killed even. Uh, and unfortunately today we have Christian brothers and sisters all across the world that still are living in that reality. They're still living in similar situations. You know, there are places all over the world where proclaiming Christ is Lord uh, could put you in the crosshairs of some dangerous people, right? But I can promise you this, that even in times and places on earth where it is difficult to follow Christ without persecution, it will be worth it when we one day see his face. Uh, and this passage makes that clear. You know, it tells us that in response Uh, To Christ's lordship, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess on earth uh, and under the earth uh, and in heaven. And so, you know, I want to leave you with a couple application points today, and they're really pretty simple. Uh, The first one is to believe. Do you believe that Christ is Lord? Do you believe that? Because you will one day. One day you will. If it's not today, one day you will. You will Uh, bow at the feet of Christ and declare that he is Lord one day. But I urge you to not wait until it is too late. Declare today, in this moment, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the second application point is this. If you do believe that, then live it out. Uh, You know, we've been given, you know, pretty specific ways to live as believers. And so we need to live it out. Uh, The attitude and mindset that we should have I've been given us, uh, given to us very plainly right here in these verses. We need to live it out. And so let us today have the same attitude as Christ. Let us think about Christ often. Let us worship him and adore him and emulate him, not just with our words, but with our actions. Let us be people that reflect Christ in all that we do to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, we just, again, we just thank you for, for who you are, for what you've done, um, for, for everything that you are. We just thank you that you uh, humbly came to earth uh, in the form of man. You lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. You died the death that we deserve, taking the punishment that we deserve, taking the full wrath of God on yourself uh, in our place. Uh, and then, of course, um, rising from the dead uh, to seal that promise. And so we thank you for that. We adore you for that. We worship you for that. Father, I pray that we would declare, not just with our words, but even with our actions, that you are Lord, that you are Lord of our life, um, that we would live a life that is reflective of that, of your great character, uh, that we would live a life that reflects your glory uh, to all the world. And so, Father, we just, again, we worship you and adore you today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship 
Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.